My name is Ian Bick, and you're tuned in to Locked In with Ian Bick. On this week's episode, I interview the Picasso of counterfeiting, Jeff Turner. We all make mistakes, experience failure, and fall down in life. But if you decide to get back up and use it as fuel to your fire, you could choose to not let it define you. You can make it through to the other side and turn it into an opportunity. Join me, Ian Bick, as I interview people from all over the country who have experienced the rock bottom of the American justice system and find out what they did to overcome it. These are the stories that will motivate you and inspire you to change your life. Jeff Turner, welcome to Locked In. Thanks for having me. The Picasso of counterfeiting, <laughs> as they like to call you online. Yeah, what, what, a, they, what a name. That's I'm, what they say. I'm interested to find out how you um, got that name on today's interview. Um, in my interviews, I always like to start at the person's beginning. What was your childhood like growing up? What's your family like? Where are you from? Uh, I was born in Sunrise, Florida, uh, just outside of Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. Um, I grew up in like a suburb of Tampa Bay, in Clearwater, Palm Harbor. Um, I had a pretty pretty normal childhood, I, I think, for the most part. Um, I've got a brother and a sister, kind of like a regular middle class family um no like nothing traumatic nothing you know pretty good childhood really played baseball you know graduated high school went to college i ended up dropping out of college um what do you go to college for uh well the plan was psychology um but yeah i only only went for a couple years before i i think partying too much uh Kind of just scratched that. <laughs> now, during high school and college, are you in drugs at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was pretty recreational uh, when I was younger, like just smoking weed, partying, kind of drinking. Um, but, you know, the harder drugs, uh, like in Florida, back when I was in college, um, is when like the oxys really hit Florida hard. So... You know, I was involved in all that stuff, like doctor shopping and uh, sponsoring people to get pills and all that stuff. And that, that ended up developing a habit, uh, to say the least. And I'd when say. you were growing up, were you getting into any trouble at all in high school or college, like with the law? Uh, a little bit. I, the first, uh, first time I got arrested, I was 16, um, which it was just like a possession of paraphernalia charge. I, I was like skipping school. We were at this little skate spot. Um, and like the police ended up showing up and I had a little weed pipe in my pocket. Um, so I got like a year, I think it was a year probation for that. Um, and kind of because of that, um, I was holding this pipe for a friend of mine. Um, and I got caught with it. I took the charge. He kind of felt guilty, um, that it was his pipe and his mom had like Percocets in her medicine cabinet. So, you know, I couldn't smoke weed anymore because I was on probation. So he'd bring me these little Percocets and give them to me before uh, class in high school. So that was kind of the start of taking pills. Um, but you weren't getting involved in like any major crime or anything like that. Uh, I mean, not not when I was younger. I mean, I was selling a lot of weed. Um, started selling coke when I was probably eighteen or nineteen. But nothing on, like, any major level. Like, I wasn't moving kilos or anything. Now um, you, you drop out of college. What are you doing for work? What's your mindset at the time you drop out? Um, at that point, 
I didn't have a career really at all. I was basically just getting by selling drugs. That was kind of uh, what I did until I was probably in my like early to mid 20s. Um, I was just working odd jobs, but selling weed and coke and pills to, to make like supplemental income basically. Okay, so then the question is, how does like a low-level drug dealer turn into this major counterfeiting operation? What brings you down that path? Well, I, so when I was probably 16, um, I started counterfeiting driver's licenses. Um, and, but it wasn't to like to sell them, it wasn't to make money. It was just kind of, uh, you know, to buy beer. I sold them to some friends of mine. But How legit were these licenses? Back then, they they weren't very good, but that, uh, it kind of made me realize the potential of, like, what you can counterfeit, basically. Where do you even get the idea for this? Like, at that age, how do you just randomly have, like, a light bulb go off and say, I want to make fake IDs for my friends? Uh, well, just, like, the, you know, wanting to buy alcohol as a minor, <laughs> really, um, which they, they didn't uh, look very sophisticated, but they worked, Um so when I was 19, I had, because of like the, the driver's license thing, I had the idea to counterfeit money. Like I was selling, selling drugs, doing all this crazy shit to, uh, to make money when I realized that if I could just figure out a way to print money, it would, I mean, that's the best way to do it. You know, really, if you're trying to make money, you just, you could print your own money. So, but that's not an easy task to pull off for the average person. No. Um, and when I first started, when I was younger, they weren't, I mean, they looked good. I, I was able to sell them to, uh, a friend of mine. Uh, his dad was kind of like a connected guy in Tampa and he was buying probably $10,000 worth of fake hundreds from me, um, every couple of weeks. But I mean, looking back at it at the time, I thought they looked amazing, you know, but looking back, they didn't look as, as good, um, as I probably thought back then. Um, and I only did that for like six months. I probably sold him maybe like 50 grand over the course of six months. So it wasn't like a large sums of money. Um, but then you progressed to a bigger level. Well, I stopped. So like my friend, um, ended up overdosing and dying. So he was kind of my connection to sell him to his dad's friend. So when he overdosed, I just basically stopped and went back to, um, you know, selling drugs or whatever. Um, and then like fast forward, I ended up meeting this girl. Um, she had a couple kids from a previous marriage. We got serious. Um, we ended up moving to Knoxville, Tennessee to kind of like just get away from Florida because Florida is kind of a crazy place, especially back in like the mid 2000s when all the pills were everywhere and stuff. And how old are you at this time? Uh, probably 23, 24, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, so we moved to Knoxville and that's when I got into the sign industry. So I started like you know, doing sign installs and service. And through that, I got into graphic design um, and kind of like, you know, the whole graphic design aspect. Um, and that, that 
I realized the potential of graphic design with the counterfeiting thing because I, I learned graphic design more. Um, so you're able to bring it to like a professional level. Yeah, they, they ended up, I, I knew like I could do a lot more with it, but I was making good money in the sign industry. I was, and I ended up marrying the girl. We had a couple kids of our own. Um, so I stopped selling drugs. I lived a pretty normal life for a while. Um, but what changed? Like what triggered you to move on from like this normal lifestyle to getting into, you know, a life of counterfeiting? Um, well, I through all that, I was still like addicted to drugs. I was doing pills, um, but I've always been like a functioning addict. I, you know, raised my kids. A functioning addict. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I paid my rent, went to work, you know, raised my family, um, you know, but I ended up... Uh, like wrecking a bucket truck. Um, I had a newborn baby, so I wasn't getting any sleep. I ended up falling asleep at the wheel. I wasn't even on drugs at the time either. Like I was just tired, fell asleep and wrecked the truck. So my boss uh, fired me for it. It was a company truck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It was a big bucket truck with like a million dollars worth of sign parts in it and all this crazy shit. Um, But... So, like, at that point, I found myself in a situation to where the lease was up in my house. Um, Like, I had a newborn baby. I had other kids. You know, I was married at this point. Our lease was up. We were renting a house. Our lease was up in a couple months, and uh, I got laid off from my job. So, I basically was just, like, screwed financially. Um, I, you know, I, I was getting by pretty well, making decent money, but I was living paycheck to paycheck for the most part. Um, so at that point I kind of, uh, you know, thought back to the counterfeiting thing. Like I, I was in a bad financial situation. Um, you go back to what your roots were. Yeah. I mean, I needed to make a lot of money quick. Um, do you think had you not been on drugs at the time, you would have maybe went a more legit route and it wouldn't have popped in your mind to go back to something illegal? Probably. Probably. Because, I mean, at this point, you know, like I said, I lost my job. Um, the lease was almost up in my house. I had probably a $200 a day habit um, just doing pills at that point. And, uh, you know, so basically within those two months before the lease was up, I started just like editing these images. Um, so like you can't scan a picture of a hundred dollar bill. Like the, the scanner will recognize it and it, it like won't allow you to edit it or print it or anything like that. So I, uh, basically took like a photo of the, the bill, uploaded it, um, downloaded specific software that allowed me to edit it. Um, and you know, I broke, broke down the, the images into multiple different layers um, so the printer wouldn't recognize it when I printed it because it was printed in, in four, four different layers. Um, and you know, just experimenting with stuff, I found like, the, that Bible paper was thin enough to sandwich two sheets together. And no one had ever thought of using Bible paper before. Yeah. I mean, I, at the time I've never heard of it. Um, I just kind of stumbled across it and it, it worked significantly well. Um, now how long does it take you to print the money? Is it like one piece of paper at a time or are you printing like boatloads of money? Uh, no, it was basically one one piece at a time. And this is just a $100 bill? Yeah. Um, well, I, I started printing 20s at first 
um, to just sell to this drug dealer friend of mine. Um, like I was selling him 20s while I was kind of editing the images for the hundreds. Okay. Um, but it didn't take long for me to finish finish all the images for the $100 bill and start printing those. But I printed one at a time, but, um, you know, you can print them pretty quick because I had multiple printers um, and I would print them in cycles. So, like, I'd print, like, just the background color on one printer. And while 10 of those were printing, I'd, I'd take the next 10 and print, you know, all the black work and treasury seals and serial numbers. How legit is this money? Like, does it hold up under all, like, scrutiny if you're going to the bank? Can you go to a bank teller and give them this these $100 bills? So, I mean, they looked pretty much perfect. Um, you hold them up to the light, it oh, passes yeah. it? Yeah, see, that's the good thing about the, the Bible paper is... Most, uh, so like most paper is bleached when, when in the manufacturing process. For some reason, the, the specific types of Bible paper I was using isn't. So it, it, when you put a black light on it, it glows a dull purple just like money does. Um, and most paper has starch in it, whereas money doesn't. So the counterfeit detection pens uh, react to most papers um, and turn black. But I would coat, after I printed the bills, I'd spray a matte lacquer spray on it so the, the counterfeit pens wouldn't react with the starch in the paper. Um, so, yeah, basically holding, holding my bills up to the light. Um, it had, they had strips and watermarks. They, it glowed properly in a black light. They marked with a pen. Um, I used uh, an iridescent green eyeshadow to make, like, take the pigment from it to make my own color shifting ink. How long did it take you to get to this level? Like you went from this, this small little, you know, operation, you printing $20 bills to moving on to hundreds that are very legitimate. How long did it take? I'd say uh, probably in, within six months. Um, because they, they progressively got better um, and faster. So like the more you do it, you just get the system down and you can print them, you know, a lot faster. So... At first, I was probably printing only, like, a few hundred-dollar bills a day just to, like, kind of get by. Um, but then as I would spend them and they all, like, worked. Because at first, you're nervous to go break a bill or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, but, like, every single one passed with no problem at all. Do you so, think if you had gotten caught with, like, those first couple bills, it would have deterred you and you would have stopped? Or do you think that would have just motivated you to try to improve on your, um, your skill? Um, if, if I did like get caught, um, I mean, yeah, it would probably deter me or, or I just sell them to drug dealers. But once I was able to spend them, um, and they all worked so easily, like I just kind of (laughs) went balls to the wall spending them myself. You know, I was selling them to drug dealers too, but, uh, yeah, I was probably spending anywhere from a couple thousand to 5,000 a day. Just spending on myself. As a counterfeiter, the business aspect of it is you're both using the fake bills and you're selling them to other people. Yeah. Do you sell them at their face value or there's a cut and they know it's a fake bill? Well, I'd usually, I'd sell them for about 25% of their face value. Um, So if I want a $100 bill from you, I'm a drug dealer, I come to you and say, here's 25 bucks. Yeah, basically. Most most people would buy anywhere from like $1,000 to 
to $10,000 worth of fake bills. Um, and, and how I like, usually I'd rip off these heroin dealers with the fake money. I'd go buy drugs from them, uh, with this fake money. Um, and when they eventually found out that the bills were fake, um, they'd either be pissed off and I'd just avoid their phone calls <laughs> or they'd, uh, want to buy them from me. You know what I mean? Cause most of these dealers, like I'd, I'd get them for 500 bucks a day. I'd buy $500 worth of dope from them a day. And after a few weeks or a month, um, you know, they found out that they were fake, but all the bills I'd given them, they were able to spend and re-up with or, you know, whatever. So like they really weren't out any money. Well, on that topic, as someone that was a user yourself and you're also a counterfeiter and you're giving dealers and could be potentially dangerous people fake bills, are there any dangerous situations you're put in because of that? Uh, I mean, definitely. I, I was pretty good about uh, like... I mean, when somebody found out that I was ripping them off for thousands of dollars, I'd usually just avoid those people. <laughs> so, like, nothing ever really came to a head. Um, one of the the guy that actually um, ended up setting me up, um, we we did a lot of business with each other before he set me up, but he found out that they were fake because uh, I probably was ripping them off for, like, $10,000 worth over the course of a month. And then... I guess one of the bills was in his pocket and it was raining. So the color shifting ink I used like got wet and smeared off. So um, basically I went home one day and he was like in my driveway yelling at my roommate pissed off about the bills. Um, but eventually it, it basically I found out that he wasn't really mad. He just wanted to know, you know, where this girl was getting him. Um so I ended up basically just selling them to him. And he was buying like $10,000 every time he'd go up to Cleveland uh, to pick up his like brick of heroin or whatever. What's the biggest purchase you made for like goods or items with counterfeit money? Um, Not very much because so like my thing was, you know, I wouldn't go buy a car with all fake hundreds, but I, you know, you, I try to just spend I think the most was probably like $500 worth of like a money order for $500, but I'd hit up multiple places. So like we'd go to, uh, you know, say Atlanta for the week and just hit up every business in Atlanta. Um, or at least every, there are certain stores that, um, you know, only like, for instance, CVS, uh, pharmacies, they've got the counterfeit pen with a black light on it. Whereas Walgreens just has a counterfeit pen. They just mark it. So like different stores have their own techniques of detecting counterfeit bills. So like, you know, I, I would avoid certain stores that had like the, the bill validator machines, you know, and go to other like certain corporations that only marked it with the pen or had the black light or whatever. So we'd go to a city for like a week and hit up all Dollar General, Walmart, you know, supermarkets, grocery stores, types, uh, you know, do you wear like a, do you wear like a disguise or anything? Mm, not really. I mean, I would try to, uh, dress a little different. I'd maybe like grow a beard for a little bit, shave it off, grow a goatee kind of thing. But it's gotta be nerve wracking, like going up to the counter and not knowing if that money's going to pass or not. Like, were you ever in a situation where it didn't pass or did it just pass every single time? There was a couple cases where, um, 
there was an issue, but it was mainly because I would go to like in Knoxville where I was living at the time. Um, I'd go to a store multiple times. Um, and eventually they found out that the bills were fake and then were looking for them. And I, you know, if I went to a store 10 times over the course of say two weeks, the last, you know, few times I went there, it would start to get sketchy because they'd, but like one grocery store, uh, I went to the cashier told me like, I, I broke a hundred dollar bill with this girl. Um, and then like a few days later, a week later, I went back and it was the same cashier. And she like even said she was like marking it with the pen and then holding it up and looking for the strip and marking it again and all this. Um, and she said to me like, oh, I just received a counterfeit bill. So I'm just double checking everything, you know, um, but she still accepted it. But that, you know, after stuff like that, I just wouldn't go back to that that store again. You know what I mean? At your peak, how much money are you b- raking in yourself personally from this enterprise? Um, it really depends because... Like I was probably spending myself um, at least two thousand a day. Um, That's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean it was all right, <laughs> but it it also depends because like these drug dealers I was dealing with, uh, they're like from Detroit and Cleveland and Atlanta and Chicago, but they were selling dope in Knoxville. So like once a month they'd go back to Detroit, say. Um, and pick up like a kilo of heroin and then come back to Knoxville and sell it. So once a month, they'd want five grand of my fake bills to go re-up with. Um, And they were ripping off their drug dealers. Um, So like, you know, I had probably 10 people I was doing that with, um, but whatever their schedule was like as far as re-upping, you know, that's when I made uh, another, you know, nice chunk of money. But I'd say on average, I was spending like 2500 a day. And then maybe once a week, one of the guys would want 10 grand. So I'd get another 2500 by selling them the 10. How and long then, How long is this going on for before uh, you get caught? It was about two years. And how do you end up getting caught? So that dealer from Cleveland, Ohio, um, you know, he found out the bills were fake he wanted to start buying them from me, so I was selling him five, ten thousand, maybe once a month. Um, and uh, basically, one time he went up to Cleveland to re up, um, and so he bought a car from this some like junkie he was selling uh, dope to. Um, he had the title for it, so he didn't know it was stolen or anything. But he went up to Cleveland to re-up in this car, and it ended up being stolen. So he got pulled over, and um, he had like 20000 in real cash and 5000 of my fake bills. He hadn't re-upped yet, but he had a, a bag full of money. So, you know, obviously the police is this like young 25-year-old black kid that looks like a drug dealer and has a bag full of money in a stolen car. So they obviously arrest him, they seize the money, they interrogate him. Um, the police didn't even know the money was fake, but they seize it as drug money, so they deposit it in the bank. And then, like, a couple days later, the bank comes back to the police and says that 5000 this money's fake. So then the Secret Service get involved. How long are they investigating this whole thing? Well, they, they were they didn't know who I was, but as soon as the first bills, you know, 
hit the bank and they discovered that they were fake. They were they knew about me, but they just didn't know who I was. Is that like a, a decent amount of fake money for them to get on their radar? Oh yeah, um, I'd say so. I don't I don't even know the the total number that I spent. Like last I heard from the Secret Service, it was like roughly around four hundred thousand. But they said they were still finding like ten thousand a week at that point. Um, and that's when I ended up making a plea deal. So I just stopped, you know. And you're just doing this all in like your basement? No, well, I was traveling. Uh, they they said in my paperwork it was a, a mobile mobile counterfeiting lab or something fucking like that. But no, I was living at a hotel. So I had... Uh, you're just printing all this fake money out of the hotel. Yeah, basically. I mean, I, I'd rent a house for a couple months and then, you know, just get rid of it and go travel again. So it was mainly living out of hotels. I think we rented a couple houses a couple different times. How long does it take for the Secret Service to figure out that you're the Picasso of counterfeiting? Well, until the guy told him my name in the interrogation. He folded pretty quick? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I've got the the tapes of of the interrogation and my discovery. Um, And so, like, he was up in Cleveland, um... And he he basically told the Secret Service that he could come down to Knoxville and set me up. Um, so the Cleveland branch of the Secret Service made a deal with him and said, okay, we'll take you down to Knoxville. You set up this counterfeiter and we won't press charges on you for the counterfeit money. So he did that. He The Secret Service from Cleveland, Ohio came down to Knoxville um, they set me up, obviously the Knoxville branch of the secret service got involved, um, along with like the organized crime unit, drug task force, KPD, um, they catch you red handed. Yeah, pretty much. See, he tried to set me up. He asked me to get him 700 grams of heroin. Uh, like I wasn't really selling that much drugs, but I knew a lot of like big time drug dealers. Um, so he was asking me to like middleman him almost a kilo to get it for him. And uh, luckily I got like tipped off by one of his runners that he got arrested up in Cleveland. So I already knew pretty much, I suspected that he was cooperating. But you still wanted to try it with the fake money? Well, I mean, no, at that point he, he was trying to, so like one of his runners warned me that he got arrested up in Cleveland. Um, so... I, I wasn't trying to talk with him over the phone or do any business or anything, but after even even answering his phone call, they GPS pinged my phone to my location um, and basically waited. They knew which hotel I was at, but they didn't know which room I was in. So I guess they, uh, and they knew the, the make and model of my car, so they waited in the parking lot until my wife left the hotel room to go shopping, and then they pulled her over you know, arrested her, found the hotel room key, kicked the door in, and I was in there making, uh, I think it was like 6400 So the Secret Service bounces into your hotel room, and then they just see this fake money yeah. in your whole operating system? Yeah, pretty much. I was I was printing 6400 for these Detroit drug dealers I knew uh, at the time uh, wow. when they kicked the door in, yeah. Do you get, a, you get arrested? Do you get bond? Um, no. They, well... I got pretrial release. Um, like they, they tried to fight it saying I was a flight risk because, you know, I was from Florida, but living in Knoxville, living at a hotels. I got set up by a drug dealer in Cleveland, Ohio. They knew I was dealing with dealers in Detroit and Atlanta. So like they were basically saying 
uh, I was a flight risk, but you know, my lawyer fought it and ended up getting, getting pretrial. What's your family's reaction to your arrest? Um, I don't think they were too surprised, (laughs) uh, but, uh, I mean, maybe they were, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been getting into trouble here and there, uh, for a long time, so. Now, how long is the criminal justice process for you? And do you take a deal? Do you go to trial? What's going on post-arrest for you? So it took a long time because I got out on pretrial. Um, and, like, they basically said you got to go to rehab and you have to go to a halfway house until, you know, uh, on pretrial release, you say you're going to take it to trial. Uh, you know, even though I wasn't, I had no intention of actually taking it to trial. I was just, you know, trying to get out on pretrial release. So, but... They said, you know, go to rehab and stay in a halfway house. Um, So I did that, but then COVID hit. So all the courts were closed. So everything got prolonged, like an extra year. So I was out on pretrial release for like 18 months until I finally, uh, you know, submitted the change of plea, you know, pled guilty. What did you plead guilty to? It was, uh, the original indictment was... Let's see, it was conspiracy to counterfeit U.S. obligations, um, like uh, sale and manufacture of counterfeit U.S. obligations, and then like a couple counts of uttering uh, counterfeit bills. Um, but the, the the plea deal was basically they said, uh, you know, if you plead guilty, we won't charge your wife um, with anything. We'll keep the, the amount uh, like restitution amount and like all that under a hundred thousand dollars, which avoids an enhancement. And they wanted me to make a training video for the, for secret service agents, like explaining my process. Did you make a secret service training? Yeah. They gave me cooperation credit for basically going through my process. Um, just telling them how I learned everything. Um, so like I, I was counterfeiting the strips on the blue note, bills um like i found that out from google patents actually so like the company that is contracted by the government to make the paper and security features um is called crane and company crane currency and they patented that blue strip uh it's called motion uh it's called fly eye lenticular lens arrays it's like this specific type of lenticular technology um that uh yeah, basically by reading the the patent, I learned how to to replicate the the 3D security ribbons. Um so I explained all that to the secret service on the video, you know, made a couple bills. They they had all my printers and everything because they they kicked in my hotel room door while I was making bills. So they had all the evidence out and I made a couple bills for them on camera, explained uh you know, how I learned everything and the whole process. But you didn't have to testify against anyone else. Just no, just the, make the video for them. The only co-conspirator on my case was the guy that set me up. So And he got a probably a sweet deal then? Well, actually, he, he probably would have. But once he set me up, they let him go as an informant. But then he disappeared on them and got another charge and got caught with like a kilo of heroin, a kilo of meth and a handgun <laughs> after he was cooperating with them. So so had you never gotten that tip, your life could be very different now if you got caught with those drugs. Oh, um, well, 
I mean, he ever put that in the perspective? If I would have accepted his, like, he was trying to get me to get him 700 grams of heroin. If I would have agreed to that over the phone, yeah, I would. Yeah. Heroin conspiracy is at least five years in prison, probably 10. How much time do you end up getting sentenced to because of this counterfeiting business? I got the range of uh, my sentence was 10 to 16 months, and they gave me the low end of 10 months. And you had no really major criminal history going into this? No. The only the only charges I had as an adult were adjudication withheld before this. So my my uh, my criminal history was a zero to one. Do you have any restitution that you have to pay back to maybe vendors or anything that you gave fake money to? Yeah, it's $100,000 I have to pay. Uh, How do they come up with that figure? Like if you're putting fake money of 400000 on the streets, why is it only $100,000? <laughs> uh, I think that was the, the Secret Service. Uh, that was part of their, their plea agreement. The, the enhancements, um, you know, you get an enhancement over $100,000 and an enhancement at over a million. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of like just their their deal they gave me if i pled guilty and showed them you know how i did everything they'd keep it under a hundred thousand so the the number ended up being like ninety six thousand eight hundred or something so for all the shit you were doing you got a pretty good deal 10 yeah. months in federal prison i'm assuming you went to a camp uh well uh i was supposed to self-surrender to a camp but i ended up um like basically getting arrested again before i could self-surrender and it bumped my level up to a low but what did you get arrested for it was possession of heroin (laughs) now you were still addicted at this point uh well no actually i was i mean i was sober i think once they sentenced me um i just kind of had like a week or two of of saying fuck it and i relapsed um but yeah i'm now i'm too i've been out of prison for over a year um and I've got two and a half years clean uh, since then. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. And how old are you now? I'm 36. 36. So you get out of prison. Uh, what was your prison experience like? It's it's only 10 months, so it wasn't too much time. But overall, how do you think prison was for you? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, for me personally, it was like a positive experience, I guess you could say. Like it, just in the fact that it got me uh, sober um you think it gave you like a new mindset new outlook I mean, on yeah, life yeah definitely if, if i wouldn't have gotten caught and arrested and went to prison i probably wouldn't have gotten sober you know what i mean um were your parents supportive while you're in prison uh i mean they always support like support what i what i do uh as long as it's positive um you know they they supported me for the most part like and you know my whole family is pretty happy now that I'm, you know, doing better than I've, <laughs> than I have been in the past. It's, it's, you know, it's always interesting to think that it's our worst moments in life that have the ability to change us for the better. I mean, it doesn't always happen in every case, but you do have those cases. Like in your case, had you never counterfeited the money, had you never went to prison, you might not be clean to this day. You could be dead to this day from yeah. an overdose of drugs. For sure. Um, it just puts life into perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, really everything worked out as best as it it could. Um, you know, like I was doing like three grams of fentanyl a day 
ripping off heroin dealers and, you know, living a pretty crazy life. Um, what do you do when you get out of prison? What, what's your new game plan? Is there any inclination to get back into what you were doing before? Oh, no, no. Um, the, the opportunities I've gotten since I've been out um, are amazing, really. Um, you know, I'm running production at a print shop. Um, I'm writing a book, telling my story. I've optioned uh, the rights to my story to a film company. Um, so they're trying to make that work. It's in like uh, in development now. I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen with the movie thing, but it'd be pretty cool if uh, <laughs> they make a movie about it. Well, you got the story for it. Well, let's let's hope it works out. You know. Do you ever get inclinations to use drugs or alcohol? Mm, no, not not anymore. I I really didn't even when the last time I relapsed. Uh, like I didn't even, I don't even know what, it was just a, a stupid like fluke. I didn't even necessarily want to. It was just kind of like they sentenced me and I knew I was turning myself into prison in a couple of weeks. So it was just kind of a, yeah, it was a stupid decision, but I'm like much happier now being sober, um, really. And even, even when I was on drugs, I, I was like, physically addicted so i just was going just kept going with this you know i've I've been wanting to get off opiates for 10 years you know what i mean but it was just hard with you know kids and a job like it's hard to go a month dope sick you know when i had responsibilities and stuff do do you feel like changes in your physical body in a way like going from being addicted to drugs now being completely clean um you see like some People that use drugs, they go through severe physical changes. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd say I'm healthier now than I've been in a long time, uh, for sure. Um, yeah, like being physically addicted to, to heroin, opiates, all that stuff is really horrible for your body. I never used needles or anything. I just snorted, snorted it, but still like, you know, has horrible negative effects <laughs> snorting that much uh heroin on a daily basis is not good. What have you learned through this whole process? Like what are your takeaways from, you know, committing the crime, getting caught, the post-trial or the pre-trial experience and then going to prison and now out of prison? What's your biggest like learning lesson you've taken away from all of that? I mean, really, I feel like doing the right thing, like the karma is real. You know what I mean? Like if you really just do the right thing and make positive choices, (laughs) it seems that, uh, you know, things are much better. Things just work out if you do the right thing. Um, Because even when I was like, you know, I might make a lot of money doing this crazy shit I was doing, but obviously everything catches up with you. You know what I mean? Not only do you, I did I get arrested but you have to pay back money you know what I mean it's just you know I don't know making making the right choice and just doing positive things with your life is is always going to be better for sure was it hard to disassociate yourself with like the group of people you were hanging out with pre-prison like you had to create a whole new lifestyle essentially get away from the drug users the drug dealers anyone involved in crime yeah for sure I'm I'm starting over from completely my like my whole life really they they seized all the money and cars everything 
you know, I got out of prison. My wife and I are separated. So, you know, I'm just starting everything over from scratch, basically. Are you more cautious about who you spend your time with? Like, I know now for me, I'm very careful of who I let into my life now, especially as I'm like on the rise and doing things um, that kind of resemble my past in a way. And I'm very cautious of, okay, what are their intentions? Mm -hmm. What can they bring to the table? Do you have those thoughts going through your mind? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely. Like I don't, at this point, um, in my life, like I don't hang out with anybody really. I go to work and you know what I mean? (laughs) I just do what uh, needs to be done. You know what I mean? I don't do anything else. I don't like go hang out or go to bars or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to start everything over. You know what I mean? I've got a good job, but I'm working like 65 hours a week. I'm writing this book. Um, I'm traveling for podcasts and stuff uh, probably once a month. So, What's your message? Like, What's your hope to get out by doing these podcasts, by doing a, a possible movie, writing the book? What do you? What's your plan? Really, I don't have a plan. <laughs> it's kind of just all fell into my lap, really. I just did... Uh, did one podcast telling my story and it it got a lot of views and a bunch of other people have reached out to me. Uh, so I'm just kind of going with the flow of things as regarding that. Um, I mean, I want, I've got a goal to finish, uh, writing this book, which is, that's a long process. Um, especially with like my schedule, how it is now, it's like, I'm trying to squeeze in writing a couple paragraphs a night type thing. Um, if I'm lucky. So, you know, I want to finish the book, but everything else is just kind of going with the flow of it, man. <laughs> That's know? great, man. I mean, you really do have a cautionary tale for a lot of people too, because like you lived a pretty, you know, crazy lifestyle. Uh, printing fake money is definitely not the norm of, <laughs> of crimes that people commit that when they're on drugs. And I'm yeah. sure there was like that thrilling um, part of it, like having all this money and, and being able to kind of like be on the top of your own world. I remember for me, like doing the concerts and the nightclubs and stuff like that was a fuel and that, you know, led to other not so good decisions. So now sure. here you are post crime, post prison, post drug addiction, and you have a good story to tell. And, you know, I wish you the best with that. I, I, I hope they make it into the movie. I'll definitely <laughs> watch the movie on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen like a counterfeiting movie you see it on tv shows but i haven't really seen a a full movie yeah and um i hope you just you know keep being that message to others uh, about what can happen if they do get their life on track so you know thanks for coming on locked in jeff it's been a pleasure and you know hope to see you again soon cool appreciate it man